I'm Arie Schwartz, and welcome to the Windsider Show, where it's all about the W. I'm here today with my guest, Brady Klopfer. We got two important topics for you on this episode, so take a listen. This episode, we're talking about the MVP race, early on, obviously, and the surprises and disappointments of this early WNBA season. If you like our show, please consider joining our Patreon community. For less than a cup of coffee a month, you can directly show support for the hard work we do covering the W. Brady, say hi to the folks, and then let's hop in, because we're talking MVP. It might be a little bit early for some people, but I think we're going to have a fun one. I always like the early award discussions to be honest because even if they don't hold up they're not necessarily predictive it's fun at this point in the season to actually take a look at who is playing the best basketball because these you know two weeks are still important even if things are going to change down the road yeah and a a lot of like let's let's be real about this the WNBA season you know we're almost a third of the way there so it, it it's Obviously, it's early on still. You know, some teams haven't even played five games yet or whatever. But it's in the W because of the such a condensed schedule. You know, a couple games can can get your, your MVP stock to the top or drop it all the way down to uh, forget about it. Um, let's move in. The person who I think a lot of us are thinking about when you say early season MVP nod has got to be John Quell Jones of the Connecticut Sun. Brady, talk to me. What are you seeing from John Quell? I, 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 this is a ridiculous question to ask, but what are you seeing from her that you <laughs> like so far in this season? And the reason I say it's ridiculous because you've been living under a rock if you don't know how good she's been playing. Yeah, I mean, the the question with John Quell has always been not what does she do, but what doesn't she do? And this year we're seeing that at just an entirely different level. She has been a superstar on both ends of the court. She is averaging 18 points per game. She's getting to the free throw line. She's shooting efficiently from beyond the arc, as well as bullying opponents inside. She's at 12.1 rebounds a game. 4.1 of those are on the offensive end. She has been a superb defensive player, protecting the rim, three blocks a game, so many altered shots beyond the ones that she's actually blocking. I mean, she's averaging more blocks than fouls this year, which is just utterly insane. And, and she's just limiting opponents ability to get good shots around the rim. She's limiting opponents ability to get the rebound when they inevitably miss those bad shots. And then on the other end, she has just been, a force offensively. So I don't know what, where you can knock John Quell Jones at this point. She could shoot a little bit more efficiently inside it. You know, she's had some layups that she's missed early on that I think is just kind of a small sample thing. I expect her to, to be able to finish inside a little bit better going forward, but she has been a dominant two way player for the team that has been the best team in the league to this point. So for me, she's she's a, the clear MVP front runner at this point. 
Oh, I, I completely agree with you. I'll, also, I'll add into your, your stats that you're bringing up here. She's averaging more blocks per game than turnovers or fouls. That's absurd. Yeah. Right? Like, that's unheard like, of. That like, she, and the thing is, is she's like go go gadget. She's got these lanky arms. And I mean, I've watched games where I was yelling at the TV asking why you would throw that. That's a horrible pass down low. And JJ just go go gadget, grabs that ball, easy layup. She has been so dominating. And the best part for me is her minute increase. You know, if you look at for over, you know, her career in Connecticut, she 14 minutes per game in the first season. She's there in 2016, then 2017, kind of her breakout year. She was still only averaging 28.5 minutes a game right now. Yeah, she's at 31 and all of her stats are growing with her. Personally, I'd like to see her get a little bit of. a little higher percentage work on those three point balls. I don't know if you've been uh, paying attention, Brady, but I'm all about the three ball this year. I'm hoping, I'm hoping for a, a complete wave of threes to come into this league. You and me both, man. You and me both. It we're, we're trending in that direction. I think we'll get there eventually. And you know, I think she's kind of trying to get ahead of that curve. I mean, she's shooting four point six of them a game. Uh, you know, making them at thirty four point four percent. So you would love to see that number come up a little bit higher, but the fact that she's shooting that many shows she's got the confidence, shows she wants to increase that inside-out game, and <laughs> that's that's a scary thought. Well, an even scarier thought is, let's if you look at her breakdown game by game, it seems, don't be distracted by the points, but it seems like she's just getting started. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there, there's not this, like, Oh, here there was a little bit of a dip, and, you know, and that's why, like Brady, before we got on, before we got on air, before we started recording, we were talking about this, like, oh, what about this player? Should this player be included? This player get be included? And you look at it, and you're like, wait a second, you know, six, five, seven games into the the season, you're gonna look at it and go, okay, you know, you know, one bad game, two bad games, that's gonna really affect you. And John Quell has basically started the season at a respectable rate. And just, you know, level up, level up, level up. Do you think that, I don't even know how to properly word this, but with John Quell, is this a situation of she's finally had the reins and this season's just going to take off? Or will there be a point of kind of, you know, hitting the wall at some point this season? I really don't think we're going to see her hit the wall, to be honest. Um, But I've been very high on John Quell you know, going into the season, I'm not particularly surprised by what she's doing. So for me, this is kind of more confirming what I've been expecting her to turn into than proving something that is surprising to me. And I think kind of to go back to your point of the minutes increase, I said on Twitter right before the season started that I thought that the Sun were going to be a better team this year despite losing Shanae Gwumake and not getting a player in return, basically just subtracting a very good player from the roster. And part of that was because they had so many bigs, those John Quell and Shanae minutes were always a little awkward, and it just meant you get more time for John Quell Jones, who, in my opinion, as good as Shanae Grumake is, John Quell Jones is a much better player. And so 
to kind of build on that, I think you're seeing she's 25 years old. She's finally getting the opportunity to play those consistent star minutes and be treated like the star of the team. And that is when it starts to click for a lot of players when they are finally given that role. And for the first time in her career, she's given that role and she's running with it. And I expect her to keep running with it. I think she is only going to get better as the year goes on. Oh, I, I, I agree with you. And, and the thing that really stands out to me with her, I want everyone to go look. I know you've looked at this, Brady, what her efficiency is uh, so far this season. It's quite ridiculous. Um, but with John Quill, I think it's also not only we talk about her MVP-ness, but her being on this team, this Connecticut team needed her to step up to take that next step. All right. This team, I think the biggest question, I know we've talked about it. I know many people have talked about it is who who is kind of that star who's going to be that person because this team is so evenly keeled with so much talent in those starting five and even on the bench a lot of times you go okay who gets the ball at the end now i'm not saying john quill is getting the ball for the last second shot every time but i am saying when you have that star power ability on your roster which is something that even no knocking shanae but even with shanae i don't think they truly had it that is a huge add to the connecticut sun yeah, it's a huge ad, and it it you see the way it plays out in the fourth quarter when the players are aware of what you're just saying. Because this isn't just us as outsiders watching and saying, John Quell is the star, that's great. The players, the coaches, the organization are embracing John Quell as the star. You can see it in the play that no one has any questions on that team who the go-to leader of the team is. It is clearly John Quill Jones, despite them having so many talented players. And that just plays a huge role when you get into the fourth quarter, when you get into those critical possessions, to have everyone on the same page of who the focal point of your team is. It's it's crucial, and it is paying dividends uh, for this team and this roster. Let's talk about another player who is on my short ballot for the early MVP race, Dwana Bonner. Now I'm going to put this out there because I know the trolls, everyone's going to come at me and, and say this. I am aware of the Phoenix Mercury's record. Okay. And, and I know in the past I've been extremely anti people with losing records, even being in the discussion for the MVP race. I get it. I'm a hypocrite. Cool. But Dewana Bonner has been putting this Mercury team on her back. I mean, is there anything she can't do, Brady? No, I really don't think so. I mean, we've we've both talked about this a lot. You know, in our in our when I was on in the preseason on the podcast, you and I kind of gushed about how Dewana Bonner is simply the most versatile player in the WNBA offensively. She can attack you off the dribble. She can create her own shot. She can shoot from long distance. She can get to the rim. She can post you up. Defensively, she can guard three positions at an elite level and can guard the other two positions still at a good level. She can pass the ball. She's one of the better rebounders in the league. She's just... She's just the complete package. She's the most versatile player in the league if you factor in offensive performance and defensive performance and the versatility to play 
multiple positions on both ends of the floor. There's nothing she can't do. And, and she deserves to be in this discussion regardless of the record, because the reality is if her teammates had had not been disappointing to this point, and I'm sure we'll get to the Mercury in a minute when we talk about disappointing teams, but if her teammates had performed in a non-disappointing manner, Phoenix, instead of being two and three, is at least three and two and quite possibly four and one. Oh, you're, you're hitting it on the head right there. And, and just a little stat I want to throw out there. Her worst game scoring wise, 12 points. Her second worst game, she doubles up on two 25 point games. That's how dominant she has been. <laughs> but the, the, the thing that she does that always blows my mind, because you look at her frame, you don't think that she can knock it down low. But she does. And and her ability to adjust mid-shot is something that just drops my jaw every time. I'm watching a highlight right now. There's three highlights on my screen. All three of them are plays where she hits contact in the paint, adjusts mid-shot, and is able to get it in. And, and it's those types of plays. I mean, people were laughing at us. I mean, I know a lot of people know how good Bonner is, but everyone's like, what are you talking about? Brittany Griner is going to step up for the Phoenix Mercury. It's Brittany Griner's team. I saw multiple articles. Tarasi's been been grooming Brittany Griner to do this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking, if I'm Bonner, I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs saying, <laughs> you just wait. You make that the game plan and I'm about to show out. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've ruffled feathers on Twitter by claiming that I believe Bonner is the best player on the team. I will. Yo, I got your back on that. Don't you worry. <laughs> which I appreciate it, and and we're certainly validated in that right now. And one small thing I want to want to add to this because this isn't going to show up a lot in the stat sheet, but is so crucial, especially to a team like Phoenix that is missing a star in Tarasi and needs their best players to be at their best. Dewana Bonner is averaging thirty four point six minutes a night, which is crazy. She is averaging one foul per game. Which is what wild. That's assuming the WNBA stat page here is correct. It has her at one foul per game. Well, it, it has her not having a single foul since the second game of the season. That which, means three perfect games in that respect. Which is crazy. And not because not only does that mean that you're able to guard some of the best players in the league, which she is tasked with doing without giving up fouls, but it means that those 34.6 minutes a night she's playing are sustainable because we know she's a tremendous athlete who has who has great energy and great stamina and can play that many minutes. But for most players, it's really a matter of, can you play that many minutes without getting into foul trouble? Can you play that many minutes without getting a little tired, losing your legs on your jump shot? She has proven time and time again, both of those are true, which means that as the season goes on, you can just rely on her to be on the court and to be at her best in the minutes when the team needs her most. Oh, and, and it's, it's impressive how quickly she can do it. Also, I'm just going to reference one game and we'll move on the Phoenix, Minnesota game. You know, there was portions of that game where Nafisa was, was respectfully able to lock down Bonner, but when Bonner got going, now, obviously, Minnesota pulls off that win. Bonner still drops 25, has some big shots, and Nafisa and Bonner kind of go off right at that last play. Great defense. But Bonner's that game, Bonner really showed the ability to do things that not many players in this league can do, which is just kind of like 
jump ahead five five steps and, and all of a sudden you go from five points to 20 points. Um, and, and she's been amazing at doing that and amazing, kind of like you were saying, the way she gets her second wind in the fourth and just got, like, if you were watching the Chicago game, I mean, it wasn't just her, but Phoenix was able to pull themselves back into the game a lot to do with her. Yeah, absolutely. She she really led that push. And I think she benefits so greatly from the fact that she has an amazing motor and an incredibly long frame. Because once you get in those fourth quarter minutes where people are gassed, she has such great length that when you combine that with her ability to not seem to run out of energy, all she needs is that half step that's so easy for her to get with those long legs, and it's game over. She's got the advantage on you both in her length and in her energy level, the gas left in her tank, and it just makes it so in the fourth quarter, she gets wherever she wants because she has such a physical advantage with her length. And then you pair that with the motor and it just, you see a huge discrepancy in the fourth quarter between her and the, the player guarding her. Oh, totally. And, and it's crazy. Cause I remember just like laughing and rolling on the floor hearing, I don't remember if it was her coach Sandy saying something about, Oh yeah. She, you know, she's working on her conditioning and blah, blah, blah. Last season was kind of rough at points. And I, I just sit there like, what do you, I mean, fine. But I feel like you're just being like the wealthy complaining right there because She's just been unstoppable for the last season and and however many games we're in right now. Let's talk about some honorable mentions for the MVP race before we move on to our second and third topic, or I guess second topic of the game of the episode. Um, I just want to give a shout out to Tina Charles. Obviously, she's been balling out. If her team has has a much better record, you're talking about her in the MVP race. But like I said before, you don't really talk about these teams that are are losing in abundance. Uh, when it comes to MVP talk. And then obviously another shout out to Natasha Howard, a player who has really, I mean, everyone on that team, on that Seattle team has put it together, but Natasha Howard has done some great stuff. Brady, why don't you talk real briefly, Natasha Howard and her season so far? Yeah, it's been a a fun season for me to watch Natasha Howard. I, I was kind of really looking forward to Seattle this year just because of the trying to word this in a not bad way. You obviously hate to see the bird and the Stewart injuries, but it's always kind of exciting to see the opportunities that some other players who have been in more role player roles get to have when forced into bigger roles. So I was really excited to see Seattle this year, see how Jewel Lloyd, Jordan Canada, and most importantly, Natasha Howard would perform when they're asked to simply do more. And for Howard, for the most part, it's gone really well. I mean, the stats speak for themselves. She's shooting, she has 19.6 points and 9.1 rebounds per game. The the defense, as always, is tremendous. 2.1 steals, 1.7 blocks. And that doesn't really tell the, you know, those base stats don't really tell the story of her defensive impact. On the other hand, as you would expect, we have seen a little bit of the ramifications of losing an MVP in Brianna Stewart and an all-time great floor spacer and passer in Sue Bird. Things are just coming a little bit harder for Howard. Her lack of refined offensive moves have sometimes been on display. She has a hard time scoring when facing up 
or when she doesn't have deep position, gets a lot of her points off of offensive rebounds or simply just working her way for deep position, which is obviously a skill, but she needs to refine some of those other moves, facing up, working off the dribble. The three-pointer obviously has been horrendous this year. So on the whole, it's been a good year for her. She's going to keep growing as she has this larger opportunity than she's ever had before. And there are going to be some speed bumps, but in the long run, I think we're seeing some development that could play huge dividends for Seattle in 2020 when they're presumably healthy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be scary. Um, I definitely think she's she's hurting from the lack of spacing both those players give you. Definitely. Let's talk about most disappointing teams in the early 2019 season of the WNBA. I'll start us off. Uh, I don't think there's any question here. The Atlanta Dream, number two team going into the playoffs last year. But honestly, it's not the Dream's record that has been disappointing to me. It's been their lack of their staple, their identifying factor. It's been a lack of defense from them. Um, I've harped on this a while, spoke with uh, sp- bleh, spoke with Coach Nikki, and she talked a lot about maybe in the preseason rushing through the basics and the base of building that house um, and that possibly being a reason. Brady, briefly, talk to me about this Atlanta Dream Team. Yeah, I mean, you hit it on the, na- the nail on the head right there. It just a year after being a suffocating defensive team this year, they just aren't They're sixth in the league in defensive rating at 100.2, which is way off of what they were a year ago. They're just not pressuring teams. They're not forcing teams into those difficult defensive possessions that we saw them do last year. Um, You know, Jessica Breland was my preseason pick for Defensive Player of the Year. She's been good, as has Elizabeth Williams, who I know is a lot of people's pick as well. But they haven't been those intimidating forces that I feel like they were a year ago. And then you kind of compound that with they have had the worst offense in the league by offensive rating by a huge number. They're scoring just 85.6 points per 100 possessions. That's more than 10 points fewer than what the league averages, more than 25 points fewer than what the league best is, which is just an absurd amount. And you expect Atlanta to not have a good offense. They did not have a very good offense last year. Obviously, losing Angel McCautry plays a huge role in that. But I just kind of expected that for them to go through a whole year playing not very good offense like they did last year, that they would make some changes, some renovations to the scheme to at least bring it up closer to a league average rate because that's all you need when you play as good a defense as we've grown accustomed to Atlanta playing. And they failed to do that on offense so far, and then they failed to play the defense that we're accustomed to, and the result is a team that, simply does not look good at all and and the stats bear that out they've been the second worst team in the league by net rating um by an enormous margin yeah it, 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 there's there's a lot to get into there um another team that's been kind of disappointing and, and we're saving the best for last don't worry but the phoenix mercury you touched on this i mean this team just has not looked like a team that we all have these expectations of 
They're two and three. Um, they they have just. I mean, they're just not playing. And and you 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 hit it on it before. Bonner's been doing everything. Griner's been good, but not great. She had, I think, honestly, like one good game, and the rest of them have been kind of washes. Um, we've seen a couple players, you know, Essence Carson step up in one game. We've seen some other games where other players step up. Leilani Mitchell's been good since she's been back. But we just haven't seen a complete effort by this team, and it's just been disappointing. I mean, the, when we talked about disappointing, you can't not think about that. Yeah, absolutely. And they, I think are going to be just fine for like what you said, we've seen the different elements throughout the season. We've seen them have really good offensive games. We've seen them have really good defensive games. We've seen the stars have strong games. We've seen the role players have strong games. It just hasn't come together. They haven't been able to put it all into one package for 40 minutes and show the title contender that I think we both believe they should be. So I think that they'll figure it out. They don't have any glaring issues to me. They just have been disappointing. And that, in a way, almost makes it more disappointing because there's not really anything you can put a finger on with this team. They just haven't haven't played that well. And for me, I, I think Brittany Griner often gets more criticism than she deserves. But for me, when you have Brittany Griner on the on the court, especially with Dewan Bonner playing the way she is, you can't be ninth in the league in defensive rating. You, you just can't be. She needs to have more of an impact on that end of the floor. She needs to dictate things a little bit more. Oh, totally. And, and I will add, though, for the Mercury fans, I feel like this is such classic Mercury, you know, slow start, not that great of start, whatever. They'll, they'll kick it into gear when it comes uh, important time to get that playoff spot. Another disappointing team... Um, I think everyone also has this one circled. This is, we should have just counted, counted this like the obvious section of our podcast. <laughs> but um, Vegas, I mean, I, it, when you look at it, when you you read the, the roster, yeah, it's disappointing. But when you look at it and the timeline of how things happen, I don't think it is that disappointing. Um, personally, I would have liked to see Bill kind of work Liz into the lineups a little bit slower and say, you know what? We have this starting five that we know has a rhythm. We know has a groove. We know can make it work. And then we'll slowly work Liz in so that not to A, hamper the growth of Asia, but B, not to put this team in a spot that they're in right now where they are deep in the hole. I mean, it's it's they're not they're not six feet deep, but they're deep in the hole. Yeah, it's it's always a fascinating thing this time of year with teams because with the W season being so short you don't really have the time to prioritize being your best self down the road because you still have to worry about the standings, especially with the way the playoffs are set up with the buys. You need to be prioritizing getting one of those top two seeds when you're a title contender. So the aces, I expected them to be slow. It's always hard to work in a star player, especially when their skill set is a tiny bit redundant with your other star player that they're playing alongside. We knew there were going to be bumps in the road, but like you said, they're digging themselves a hole and we've seen too many times in this league teams dig themselves holes in, in May and June and end up losing earlier than they probably should have in the playoffs because it comes back to bite them. 
Oh, totally. And, and I will say, though, out of those three teams that we've deemed disappointing so far, if there's any of the three that I would put a lot of money on, I'm not a big betting guy, but if I would put a lot of money on any of those teams to win a one and done, you got to say Mercury. I mean, you'd be yes, stupid not to. Absolutely. Um, can I? So, can, so, yeah. Can I add one more team to this list of yeah, disappointing it. teams that this is going to, I think, surprise people a little bit here? But I've been really disappointed by Dallas which Hmm. I know is odd. They were the eighth seed a year ago. They don't have Skylar Diggins-Smith. They don't have Liz Cambage. Obviously, the expectations there were very low to begin with, so there's only so disappointed you can be. But I really thought that they were at least going to be competitive on a nightly basis. I thought that Brian Agler would be able to come in there and and be able to do some really good things with their defense that that personnel would be able to turn into a formidable defense and that while they would lose a lot of games, they would at least stay slightly competitive. None of that has happened yet. Uh, They have the worst defense in the league. They obviously haven't won a game. And what solidifies them as a disappointing team to me is how well Kennedy Burke is playing in Indiana. And to me, you, you just, you just look at a team that has already four games into the season. They've already completely removed themselves from the playoff picture. And yet their second round pick is, is out there doing things. It's just, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. I mean, she, she's looking like a first round pick the way she's playing. Absolutely. And, and I just feel like, what are you what are you doing you you're you're cutting key players you're or key young players that could be developing obviously everyone has their takes on Megan Gustafson and whatnot but I just don't see the direction from them I if you're going to be doing that you need to be performing in the short term you need to be making those future concessions for the betterment of your current squad and right now their current squad isn't good at all. So everything just looks a little disappointing. Yeah, I hear you. I I will throw an asterisk there of Azra Stevens joining the team late. True. You know, you you know how hyped I am on her and and I have high, high expectations for her this season. So part of me is like, yeah, I hear where you're coming from. But also I feel like, you know, they've lost some stars and this is a star that we haven't even talked about them losing, if you want to call it that. Yeah, but no, I, I, I totally hear where you're from. Um, let's move on to the surprising teams, a little bit shorter list. We got number one, most surprising team in the league so far has to be, if it ain't, I'm going to smack you. <laughs> it's the Indiana fever. I mean, props to this team, props to pokey and props to when I say props to them, I want to be extremely clear. I, you can, Oh, you know, they, they beat New York twice. So it's not that big of a deal. This game, this game, what I'm talking about is this is taking a team that last year just looked awful. Let's be real. And the ability to tap into the minds of the players and say, we're not going to continue that mindset of us being awful and we're losers. We have shifted the focus. I don't, uh, it, they don't look like Pigpen from Snoopy anymore going around with <laughs> that, that, you know, that cloud of disgustingness. They look like a team that's going to be a middle of the pack team. People looked at me for being crazy when I said that the Fever are not going to be last place in the league come the end of the season, 
and I'm looking smart right now. You you certainly are, and I couldn't agree more with with anything you said. And I just, I just love their approach that they've been taking. You know, for all the the railing I just did on Dallas, I feel like Indiana has been kind of doing the opposite. They've been doing this very good job of of prioritizing winning games now while also prioritizing their future. They're playing lineups that give them the best chance to win now, but they're also making playing time for players like Tara McCowan and Kennedy Burke to play through their mistakes and to learn on the fly and to develop on the fly. And the result is not only are they a team that's exceeding expectations in the win column, but they have gone from a nearly unwatchable team a year ago to a team that I love to watch. I get really excited to watch this team. I was so happy that, to watch them yesterday. They were, they're fun to watch. The way they move the ball offensively, the way they space the floor, the way they attack and, and dribble and penetrate and kick back out, the way they have their inside-out play on offense. They're just a fun team. Pokey's obviously doing a great job. You can tell that they're well-coached. You can see the chemistry with them as they play. They've they've just been far and above what most people expected. Apparently, not far and above what you expected. Which props to you, but it's it's such a level above what we saw from them last year when they just looked almost dysfunctional at times. Oh, I, I agree with you, and I, and I'm gonna throw somebody out there and then let you take the next team on this list because I don't want anybody calling bias on me. But I'm just gonna throw this out there: this team keeps it up. Pokey might find herself winning her first coach of the year award. Just saying. Yeah. Um, Brady, talk to me. Uh, you know, we discussed this and with no, no pressure applied by me, you put this team on the list and I agree with you, but I'll let you take, you know, you steer this one. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we can't do this portion without talking about the Minnesota Lynx. If for no other reason than the performance they had last year, where, to me, I wrote about this kind of extensively. It felt like the league had caught up to Minnesota as well as to Los Angeles. The game was changing. We saw the Lynx still kind of playing an old school kind of basketball when everyone else was starting to modernize and starting to surpass the champs. And I just had so many questions about how they were going to be able to adapt and evolve. And then you go and obviously Lindsay Whalen retires. Maya Moore sits out the year. Simone Augustus has had has been out. And it's just a recipe for them to have a really bad year. And they haven't. They've had a really good year. They're four and two. They have the second best defense in the league, the third best net rating in the league. The offense is still pretty archaic, pretty reliant on inefficient shots and long twos uh, but that's to be expected with Maya Moore and Simone Augustus out Cheryl Reeve has just done a tremendous job the pieces who have come in obviously Nafisa Collier has been outstanding Odyssey Sims has has been playing very well for them Um, we all know how good Sylvia Fowles is I think she's a criminally underrated player in this league even though she has the accolades I still think she's a very underrated player. And this is just a team that rebounded. And I don't mean in the basketball sense, but you know, in the, in the larger sense, they, they rebounded quicker than I expected them 
two. They had every excuse for this to be a bad year, and they've come out fighting. Oh, yeah. And, and first of all, I want to give you props on that pun. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, second of all, no, I mean, my, my biggest beef with Minnesota, I, and we've talked about this, like you you can look at the roster that they compiled when the season started, and you would say, okay, wow, you've done amazing work. You've really gotten a roster that is a lot better than it was last year. I get that. I see that. But still, there's going to be growing pains, kind of what we were talking about when it comes to some of these other teams, you know, Dallas, Fever, whatever. But they've done a really good job of instilling into every player that winning mentality. And I think it was very evident and in, in smart moves by Reeve, because if you look at it, two of the players that honestly were doing the best for this team early on in the season were Nafisa Collier and Jessica Shepard. And they were both two young players fresh out of college who came from schools that instilled winning to them. And it really vibed. There was a lot of times where I'm not going to lie. You saw some of the players that were on the roster last year or some of these vets who kind of know, oh, when this happens, like, all right, cool, whatever. And you saw these youngins step up and say, no, 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 no. We're here to win championships and really push this team better. Um, my one critique is shoot more threes. Yes. Just shoot more threes. There's some games where I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, we're one quarter in and they've shot four threes. Lovely. <laughs> two quarters in, they've shot seven threes. Lovely. And then all of a sudden, I feel like it almost gets to a point where like someone mentions that to Reeve or to someone on the staff or to some of the players. And they're like, all right, cool. Now let's just start raining threes. And then they get and And that's typically when they start catching up and making it a game again. So it's like, just start doing that earlier. Yes, seriously, seriously. It's it's a little archaic. Um, it's going to need to change at some point if they want to get back to the top of the league where they once called home. It's just it's the way of the game now. They they need to start they need to start doing it more. And I think they have the personnel that they can do it more. They just need to work it into their game more. Oh, totally, totally. Let's talk about an honorable mention. Um, we both like this honorable mention, to be matter of fact, because they fit into both. And there's only one team, I think, in this league that can fit into both categories of disappointing and surprising. Your Chicago Sky. Um, you know, t defense has been really disappointing. Uh, we saw some horribly disappointing moments from them so far this season. And then, on the flip side... You see some moments and you're like, yes, okay. So, like, now I see Wade's vision here. Um, talk to me briefly about the Chicago Sky. Yeah, I've been I've been quite impressed with James Wade. I, I think – I mentioned this on Twitter yesterday, but I think he appears – from the outside, I haven't been around the team yet. But I think he appears to be that right blend of players coach where he's he treats his players well. They like him. They like to play for him. But he also knows when to be a little harder and doesn't sacrifice great schematics for great human management, which we sometimes see when it comes to basketball coaches. So I think he's done, for the most part, a really good job. I always expected this to be a bit of a slow process with Chicago, and it obviously doesn't help having things like Samuelson's injury to slow things down here. But... So far, we really just have them seen have seen them take one big step forward, one big step back, one big step forward, 
one big step back. One day we'll see a defense that's just so much more active than it was last year. And the next night we'll see a defense with zero communication, zero rotations, just getting pieced up left and right. And offensively, a lot of the same. We see sometimes amazing ball movement resulting in high efficiency shots. And other nights we see it just kind of turn into Vandersloot and Diamond to Shields going one-on-one because there's no there's no synergy, there's no movement, there's no kind of smooth working offense. So on the whole, I think they are more of a surprising team than a disappointing team just because it always projected to be a year of development and growth for them. And I think we're seeing those seeds being planted. Um, But there are certainly a lot of areas and a lot of games where you look at the roster and you feel like you should be further along than you are because there are a lot of talented players on this team. Yeah, if you don't acknowledge that, then then you're just crazy. Well, folks, we let this episode long long. Yeah, we let this episode run long because we were having such a good time. But I always want to remind you, we believe the players of the W and its community deserve the same in-depth analysis and respect that men's sports receive on a daily basis. Please consider joining our Patreon community to help us support the hard work we do.